Good morning, SBU Church family and everyone who's listening online. It's my privilege to bring the word of the Lord to you this morning on this anticipated Pentecost Sunday here from Antalya, Turkey. And I know these are strange times that we're in with this COVID and all these lockdowns. And this is the first time that I can remember doing a Pentecost Sunday from home on video. But, you know, the spirit of the Lord is still moving and, and you know, God is above all this. So we continue to place our trust in him. So the word Pentecost, it's a Greek word and it literally means the 50th day. It's 50 days after Easter Sunday and 10 days after the remembrance of Jesus' ascension into heaven. It's the one day of the year where we remember and celebrate with Christians all over the world, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit as mentioned in Acts 2 as the fulfillment of the prophecy from Joel chapter 2. We all know the story. There were about 120 disciples and they were all together in the upper room in Jerusalem. And suddenly the sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And that day, Peter addressed a large crowd that had gathered, and he preached to them. About 3,000 of them believed his message and were baptized. And that was the beginning of the modern-day church. So my question to us today is, what does this pouring out of the Holy Spirit that happened 2,000 years ago, how does it affect our lives today? This is what we're going to look at. You know, when I read Acts 19, it's rather nostalgic for me. You see, the location where this all took place was in the ancient city of Ephesus. The city was one of the most important ancient Roman uh, cities in the empire. It was actually the capital of the Roman province in Asia, and a major seaport and commercial center was located on the Asian coast, and it was at the western end of the great highway that ran across Asia Minor. Ephesus was known at that time to to be the guardian of the temple of the fertility goddess Artemis and of her image, which supposedly fell from heaven. That temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So that city and ancient temple were all destroyed a long time ago by earthquakes. All that is left standing of the temple of Artemis is a single column. How do I know this? Well, me and my family lived in Selchuk Izmir for four years. And Selchuk is about a 10-minute walk to the ruins of the Temple of Artemis and about a 30-minute walk to the ancient city of Ephesus. We've walked around those ancient ruins more times than I can remember. Anytime guests or family members would come and visit, it was off to see the ruins of Ephesus, and rightly so because they are quite amazing to see. When I read Acts 19, you can kind of imagine you know, where the Apostle Paul may have walked and talked with the other disciples where these things might have taken place. It all comes to life for you. But this was a very long time ago, and things are very different now than they were back then. In Acts 19, Paul, after spending some time in Antioch, he began his third missionary journey where he arrived in Ephesus. This probably happened sometime between AD 53 and 57. Um, Paul had briefly stopped in Ephesus near the end of a second missionary journey. It says he stopped in in a synagogue and talked to some of the Jews there. And they asked him to stay longer, but he declined and said, I will return if God wills it. 
inshallah, we hear that a lot here in Turkey. And he set sail from Ephesus. So Paul is now fulfilling this conditional promise to the Jews by returning to Ephesus. When we read this passage, we also need to mention Apollos, as I believe he is uh, also relevant uh, to our passage. Who is Apollos, you may ask? Well, if we look back a few verses uh, previous to uh, chapter 19 and chapter 18, 24 to 26, we read, Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Apollos then left Ephesus and he went to uh, the province of Achaia, which is where Corinth was. Then Paul shows up at Ephesus. And while he was there, our text says in verses 1 to 2 that he found some disciples. And our text said that Paul asked them two specific questions. The first question was, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? To which they answered, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. It can also be translated, no, we have not heard that the Holy Spirit has been poured out. On the surface, this seems like a strange question to ask a bunch of believers. But Paul obviously asked the right question. So why did he ask this question? It seems like upon talking to these disciples that just like Apollos, there seemed to be something missing. There were gaps in their faith and Paul was able to determine that what was missing was a lack of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So here we have a group of believers that most likely, just like Apollos, had heard about and believed in Jesus. They were saved, and yet something was missing in their lives. They were not yet baptized in the Holy Spirit, and Paul believed that it was important that they were. So why is it important for us to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? First of all, Jesus is our example. He didn't begin ministry until the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and he was full of the Holy Spirit, as it says in Luke 4.1. Jesus also commanded his disciples not to leave Jerusalem until they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We see that in Acts 1, verse 8. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says to the believers, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is one of the gifts of the Spirit. Lastly, when we receive uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we receive spiritual gifts, such as speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, gifts of healing, miraculous powers, gifts of faith, and distinguishing between spirits. And these gifts are given to us to encourage and build up the church. Now, the second question that Paul asked these disciples uh, was, then what baptism did you receive? To which they replied, John's baptism, which is also how Apollos responded to Priscilla and Aquila. These disciples were obviously talking about John the Baptist, and he was a prophet and cousin of Jesus the Messiah. John's main purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus by 
water baptizing people into repentance for the forgiveness of sins and pointing to the one who was to come, that is the Lord Jesus. So we see that these disciples' baptism was incomplete. It was lacking. They were baptized into repentance from sin, but that's only half the story. The other part of the water baptism is, in the name of the Lord Jesus, is that as we come out of the water, we identify with Christ's resurrection and our new life in the spirit. We are dead to our old life and we are born again. So Paul recognized their need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And he didn't say to them, hey, guys, I respect your views. So, you know, have a nice day. I'll, I'll see you on the other side. No. Immediately, he began to fill in the missing gaps and he baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus. So I want to ask you a question. Have you been water baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus? Jesus commanded his disciples to be water baptized. So we do it as an act of obedience and as a declaration to those around us that we have become a follower of Jesus Christ. If you were a follower of Jesus and you haven't been water baptized, then I encourage you to speak to one of the pastoral staff here at SBUC and we will arrange for you to be water baptized as soon as we're able. Now, Paul didn't stop there with the water baptism. As soon as, or shortly thereafter, it says he placed his hands on the disciples and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now, I want to point something out here. You know, when a person repents and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, in his work of atonement on the cross and his resurrection, the scripture teaches that at this point, a person is saved and receives the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for regeneration. I believe the outworking of this regeneration is the fruit of the Spirit, mentioned in Galatians 5.22-23, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, it is possible for this person to live their Christian life and, and go to heaven. However, I don't believe that this is the ultimate Christian life that Jesus wants for us. There is more. I believe, as I see from Scripture, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens separate from salvation. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is an empowering for service. There's one example that we see in Scripture that demonstrates the baptism of the Holy Spirit happening at the time of salvation, such as Peter at Cornelius' house in Acts 10, 44-46. And there are multiple examples in Scripture which demonstrate the baptism of the Holy Spirit happening after salvation, such as in Acts 2, Philip in Samaria in Acts 8, 12-17, and our text in Acts 19. I want to do a little demonstration because sometimes it helps to... Um, see a visual of what we're talking about in terms of this concept of the indwelling and being baptized. So just pretend that this glass is a person and the water in this jug is the Holy Spirit. So when we're saved, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's, that's what a saved person looks like. They received uh, the Lord Jesus into their life. And, and now the separate act of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the water or the Holy Spirit just keeps pouring in and pouring out, just overflowing the cup here. I believe that can give us an idea of what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The word filled with the Spirit also is a continuous, filled and continuing to be filled. So 
how do we know that a person is baptized in the Holy Spirit? Is there any physical evidence? The scripture teaches that there are three types of outward evidence that demonstrates that someone has been baptized in the Spirit. Number one, boldness to preach the word. We see that in Acts 1, Acts 2, 14, and Acts 19, verse 8. Number two, speaking in tongues, Acts 2, 4, Acts 10, 46, and Acts 19, verse 6. Uh, a little note here about the Apostle Paul. When he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, Ananias and Kevin laid hands on him. It doesn't specifically mention that he spoke in tongues or prophesied. However, uh, when we look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And the third evidence, I would say, is prophecy, as we can see here in Acts 19, verse 6. I grew up in Durban, South Africa, and me and my family were part of a church family there. One particular Sunday evening, we were in a church service, and near the end of the worship time, my mother stood up and spoke out in a word of tongues. She explained afterwards that it was different than her usual tongue language. She had finished speaking, and, and she felt that God gave her an interpretation for this word of tongues, and she spoke that out too. It was an encouraging word for the church. However, after the service, there was a lady visiting from another African country, and she came up to my mom and asked her, can you speak my language? My mom then asked, well, what language do you speak? To which this lady told her, and my mom said that she didn't know that language at all. The lady was so surprised that she spoke this word of tongues in her language perfectly, and she also confirmed that my mom's interpretation was perfect. Isn't that encouraging? So sometimes when we speak in tongues, it's in a heavenly language that only the Spirit of God knows and He prays through us. Other times, it's like in Acts 2, when we speak in tongues, that's another earthly language that we wouldn't normally know. There are some denominations, such as the Pentecostals, and they believe that a sign that a person is baptized in the Holy Spirit is that they begin to speak in tongues. And that was the case for me when uh, I was younger and, and for many others. I was only eight years old when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I started to speak in tongues right away. Only a few words. And, you know, for me, it was a thing that grew over time, just like learning a new language. There are, however, many people that I know who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and don't speak in tongues right away or perhaps even at all. For many people, it takes time, sometimes days, months, even years. I've heard of a story where a man uh, was baptized in the Spirit and only 10 years later, he uh, started to speak in tongues. We have a Mennonite friend uh, who we met in Celtic. Uh, one day at church, we were talking, and she said that she had been baptized in the Holy Spirit and had operated in many of the spiritual gifts, but yet had not spoken in tongues. She said that women in her denomination were uh, not allowed to speak publicly, and, and so she didn't think that speaking in tongues was necessary. Well, we reminded her that, you know, speaking in tongues was a beneficial spiritual gift where we not only encourage the church, but we also uh, build ourselves up in our holy faith, it says in the word. We reminded her that all she needed to do was ask God to give her the gift, and it was available to her. We left the meeting, and uh, later on that day, we received a phone call from her, and she told us that when she got home, 
she went and prayed and asked God to give her the gift of speaking in tongues, and he did. She started to speak in tongues. And sometimes all it takes is childlike faith. You know, on the other hand, you may hear extremes from people that, you know, if you don't speak in tongues, you aren't saved and you won't go to heaven. I don't believe this to be true. This is the kind of uh, talk that's very discouraging, and I believe it isn't biblical at all. So if you are a follower of Jesus and you have been water baptized, but not baptized in the Holy Spirit, then I recommend that you contact the church leadership and ask them to pray for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus said in Luke's, Luke eleven thirteen, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Yeah. I believe a key to being filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit is pursuit, hunger for God, and not giving up. So even if you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but maybe you haven't um, operated in any of these spiritual gifts, then don't give up. You know, I just, I encourage you to keep pursuing God, keep, keep praying and asking God to give you the, the gifts of the Spirit. Because Paul says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. We come to the last section of this passage, and um, I believe it's talking about the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And we see it divided up into two sections, preaching of the word boldly and working of miracles. As we look at verse 8 to 10, we read that, you know, Paul took his disciples to the synagogue where he spoke boldly for three months. Some of them refused to believe and they publicly maligned the way. So Paul left and he took the disciples with him. And it says that he had daily discussions in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years. So much so that it says that all the Jews and Greeks and that lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? This is a great example that when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, we receive power to boldly preach the word of God effectively. Then looking ahead to uh, verses 11 and 12, I'm always fascinated when I read these verses because, you know, not only does God do miracles through Paul, but it says that he did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So much so that even Paul's handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and they were made well and demons left them. Can you imagine? Paul's working, you know, as a tent maker. So, you know, maybe, maybe he was working in the hot sun and he was sweating. So he grabbed his handkerchief, you know, wiped his brow and uh, put it on the ground. And then someone came, picked that up, maybe even by accident. And um, it happened to touch a sick person. Next thing, they're well. And they're like, put this together, you know. Paul's handkerchiefs, anything he touches makes people well. And so they, <laughs> maybe that started to become a thing. I mean, that's, uh, that's amazing. We don't see those types of miracles other than Jesus and um, Peter, where it says that he walked by the sick, and even if a shadow touched them, you know, they were healed. That's just, that's just fantastic. Um, now, you know, these are amazing miracles, and, and they may not happen to you in this way, but I believe that each believer that's filled with the Spirit can walk in the miraculous to some degree. We read in Mark 16, 17 to 18, Jesus said, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they uh, drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. 
They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. I want to end by sharing a couple more testimonies of the miraculous that I've witnessed in my own life. About seven or eight years ago, Janita and I did a short-term trip to Zimbabwe and we went to some of the villages there. Um, We were with our host driving down this one dirt road and our host stopped the car. He saw a, a man that he knew on the side of the road. And he said that this man was very sick. He had TB and um, it was giving him tremendous uh, pain, especially in his feet that he couldn't even wear shoes. He was wearing uh, flip-flops at the time. And faith arose in me and I said, okay, let's, let's pray for this man to be healed. So we introduced ourselves to him and asked him if we could pray for him, in which he said, yes, we could. So I knelt down and I, I touched his feet and I said a simple prayer and I commanded him to be healed in Jesus' name. I stood up and through an interpreter, I asked him if he felt any difference. And his whole demeanor changed right away. His face lit up and through the translator, he said, the pain is gone in my feet. And... Um, Uh, translator he is such an evangelist and right away he started to tell him about the goodness of Jesus and and the gospel message and right there this man accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior and uh, there were some people around us that kind of saw what was going on and they came over and they also wanted to hear about Jesus this uh, miraculous Jesus and and so our evangelist friend started to tell them the gospel and they wanted to give their lives to Jesus too and asked if we would come back and do some sort of a, some more meetings. And on that same trip, uh, a few days later, we got together with a bunch of older ladies who didn't have very much. They were widows. And we had specifically brought a suitcase of different eyeglasses like these. And, you know, we uh, sat these ladies down one at a time and, and started to try different glasses on them because they couldn't afford them glasses and these would be a blessing to them if they could uh, help them and uh, the one lady she uh, complained of some sort of a pain in her legs she, she could hardly walk she um, was kind of hobbling along and I said can we pray for you to which we, we did we laid hands on her prayed for her and immediately she started to stand up and started dancing and praising the Lord it was amazing and and so the other ladies around, you know, their faith must have increased to that they could also receive healing. So on that day, we saw about five different healings, including a lady who was deaf. Um, I stuck my fingers in her ears and prayed for her that her ears would be opened. I prayed for her twice, and that's okay. You know, Jesus prayed for a blind man twice before he could see perfectly. And, and so if Jesus can pray twice, I can pray twice. And Anyway, it was just a fantastic testimony of the goodness and the power of the Lord. And, and God got all the glory, you know. And, and so I believe that he wants to do that through each one of us. And so if you haven't, you know, if you haven't seen any of these sort of miracles or healings in your life, you know, maybe you're too scared and, and you don't um, even pray for people because you you may be too scared about that, that maybe they won't get healed. And I just want to encourage you. It's not up to you to heal. You know, God is the one that heals. Our job is to pray for people. And the more people we pray for, the more people will hear, uh, you know, testimonies of them being healed. If we're not going to pray for anyone, we're not going to hear any 
stories or testimonies of people being healed. And uh, so I just encourage you just to, you know, not change your faith depending on your experience. Your, your faith has to be based on the word of God. So to conclude, you know, this text that we're reading here, it shows us the need uh, for water baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we also see the need for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then and only then will we be able to live a successful Christian life and obey the command of Jesus to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Only then will we be empowered to serve our Lord Jesus and bring, bring glory to his name. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've poured out and that's available to us, God. Especially today on this Pentecost Sunday, God, I just ask for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit. And everyone who is uh, hearing my voice, um, God, and I just ask that you would fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit, with your baptism, with your fire, God. Lord, we need your spirit, God. We need your spirit, God. Would you work in mighty ways in our lives, God? Give, increase our faith, Lord, where our faith is lacking. Lord, we, I ask that you would increase our faith. Father, I also want to give thanks for little baby Leo. We heard that this week that he did some um, tests uh, and they tested milk and dairy on him and he was able to tolerate it. So praise the Lord. And uh, Catherine, she had her wrist surgery on Thursday at 2 p.m. and she spent two nights in the hospital. Lord, we just uh, ask you to heal her quickly, God. I pray that the surgery would have been successful and that she would recover very quickly. God, we also pray and lift up um, this lady, Arialim. Um, she's a missing Kazakh girl. Kazakh girl. Um, she may have run away uh, due to her parents' uh, divorce that she learned about recently. God, I just pray that you would comfort her and that you would keep her safe. Uh, Lord, we also just offer praise to you for Linda. She had her second eye surgery um, recently, and I just thank you that she is healing well. God, we also pray for all our friends in this country and around the world, uh, Muslims who have been seeking you during this month of fasting of, of Ramadan. And God, I ask that you would reveal yourself to them, God. You would reveal who Jesus truly is to these people, these deeper people who are seeking you and wanting to know the truth. God, I pray for the SPUC congregation, especially those who are not in contact with us now, God. I pray that, Lord, they would not feel isolated or lonely, God, that um, you would bring people alongside them to encourage them and lift them up, God. Bring them back into contact with us here so that we can be an encouragement to each other, God. I pray in Jesus' name. Lord of God, I ask for wisdom for the, the church council and the pastoral team regarding the reopening of uh, the cultural center and our gatherings in person. Lord, we want to do it in a way that um, is safe, but Lord, that we also protect our friendly culture that we have in the church. So help us navigate this with wisdom, God. Lord, I pray for Mary's brother, Peter. Um, I ask that you give him guidance as he is trying to find a buyer for his mom's cottage. God, would you help him in this regard? God, I pray for me and my family, Lord, as we um, plan to travel back to Canada at the end of June. June 30th for about six weeks. Um, to, we need to find a new renters for our house. 
in Canada. And uh, Lord, we just ask you would help us to get to Canada safely with Emory as well, that there would be no quarantine when we get there. God, I pray that things will be open, more open at that stage, and that it will be a fruitful trip. God, I just lift up the unrest that's happening in Hong Kong. Lord, I pray that your peace would prevail over that situation. God, I just lift up Vic and Dai to you right now. Father, they're looking at translating the Alpha marriage course into Turkish. God, would you help them, God? Give them help that they need, the resources that they need to make that happen. Lead them to the right people that they perhaps need to meet with this, to help them with this. We agree with Daniel right now for the situation in Cameroon, Father. Lord, you see everything, you know everything, Father, and we ask that you would intervene, that your Holy Spirit would move mightily in that country, and that you would bring peace to that country. Lord, we lift up Dini, God. Uh, she has uh, some sort of issue with her eyes. God, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would heal her eyes 100% right now in Jesus' name. Let her be healed. God, we also just remember the uh, children, the youth and the young adults in our congregation. God, I pray that your hand would be upon them, Lord, that, that they would, God, that they would truly encounter your presence and know who you are. And that, God, that they would seek you with their whole hearts. God, that they would not turn to the left or right, but would seek after you, even at this young age, Father. God, we pray for the world governments, God, for leaders around this world, especially at this time of um, uncertainty and, and perhaps a lot of fear. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would give them wisdom, help them to work together um, in a way that's um, not too constricting for people, but in a way that also provides uh, some sort of safety and uh, comfort for people to be able to move around and uh, resume things to somewhat uh, normal type of lifestyle. God, we ask that coronavirus here in Turkey, as well as all around the world, that it would be, it would be stopped. God, I ask that you would, you would just cause this virus to disappear and that there would be no more spreading. God, I ask that you would comfort those families who have lost loved ones to this uh, coronavirus, God, and that you would, you would just be with them at this time of pain and, um, and suffering. Lord, I pray for the... Ike Church here in Antalya and all the other local churches here that are gathering, especially on this Pentecost Sunday, God, I ask that you would just pour your spirit all over this nation, that we'd see many coming into your kingdom. God, we pray this in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen.